0: Uh, it's good to be back in the house. For those of you who've been here, uh, Margaret and I were out for two weeks. We went back to the motherland, to Ireland, and uh, it, it was just—it uh, was, it was magically delicious. It was, it was. <laughs> we uh, now, and the first—the first Sunday we were there, we, we went to a uh, uh, an inner city um, Salvation Army church, which is the first time we've done that. Uh, and that was that was really that was really sweet. There were there were probably 50, 60 people there. Uh, and we sang a bunch of choruses from the 70s uh, and all like that. But uh the, the the spirit was just very sweet there. It was great. Then uh then the second uh week we were there, we were actually driving uh from one place to another, and we thought, you know, we'll around around church time, we will, we'll find a church and we'll we'll just go to it. And we were in this uh, uh, town, small town, and um, uh, this church was clearly, obviously happening. We hit it about the right time, so we got out, and went in, and it was it was a Catholic church, and well, it was Ireland, okay? What can I say? And uh, it was a Catholic church, and uh, and the place was packed. I mean, it was just packed out. Uh, and I don't know if it's packed every Sunday, but it was packed this Sunday. It was it was a special Sunday uh, because it was the Sunday where, uh, and I, I don't know, uh, some of you have a Roman Catholic background. I, I don't, so I don't, I don't really know exactly how all this works. But apparently there's a, a, a special Sunday where the young people, usually about junior high age, uh, come forward and begin the confirmation process. And they basically say, well, this is, you know, what we're going to do and, uh, and all. And rather than, the coolest thing that, that, the coolest takeaway I had from the service was uh, rather than say, okay, all of you who are going to be in this process come forward, they, uh, they read all of their names off, had them come forward as their names were called. And when they got to the front, they said, you have been called by name. Ooh, that's good. Uh, And that's something to remember as we get into this teaching today. Would you stand with me and let's read a, a parable together. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, Have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this... Between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life and the power and the grace that are in your word, I pray that you would give us new ears and that you would give us soft hearts and that you would make our lives moldable today so that they can be conformed to what you want. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, what is this parable really about? Uh, there There are a couple of things that seem real obvious up front and quite Frankly, every time I've ever heard this preached or taught on, uh, one of those two things has been what has been focused on. Uh, And and one of them is uh, the fact that there seems to be a lot here about what happens after we die. uh, Sometimes we would maybe refer to that as the afterlife, which is a strange phrase when you stop to think about it. That's not... it, It suggests that after life, you aren't living anymore. Which is interesting because we follow someone who said, I am the resurrection and the life. If anyone believes in me, then even though they die, they will live. And if if anyone believes in me and dies, they'll live forever. Do you believe this? So I don't know about... It's not like life is finished when we transition. Okay. Another phrase that we might want to avoid in using is uh, is the next life. And uh, the reason why we might want to avoid that is that kind of, I, I think to a lot of people in our culture, that kind of implies reincarnation, uh, you know, which is not something that the Bible teaches. But, you know, a lot of people think, oh, look for me in the next life. I, I hope we're together in the next life. I, I hope this is my dog in the next life. I mean, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And uh, but that's not really that's not a good that's not a good term either. Let's use this term. I I, I like this phrase. How about uh, beyond the veil? You know, we we would the Bible says that we see through a glass darkly. Well, let's make that a veil darkly. And We don't really know what's on the other side. We would like to we would like to know what's beyond. Uh, you know, we're not really keen to get over there to find out, but we would like to know. You know, what, what is on the other side? And so here, this parable's got it, man. It's got Hades. It's got flames. It's got a gulf. It's got people talking to each other. It's got Abraham's bosom, whatever that is. Uh, it's got stuff that uh, that I can kind of get a hold of, and and then other stuff that I can't really start to explain. You know, I'm not going to build a doctrine out of this parable that, oh, yes, people in heaven can see everybody in hell and the people in hell can see the people up in heaven and go, man, I wish I was there or that kind of thing. Uh, But even if I could, even if I could piece it all together, and and I remember, uh, you know, it didn't use this term, it said Abraham's side, but King James would say Abraham's bosom. And I remember when I was a little child asking my mom, well, what is Abraham's bosom? You know, what is that? And I remember her not answering me, because she didn't know, and I don't, and I still don't know. So, but uh, even if I could piece all of this together, even if I could go, okay, yeah, this is this is what it is there, and that's what that is, and this is how this fits together. How would that change my life? What would that do for me? well, you know, there's a, you'd know there's a hell. I know there's a hell. Well, okay, you'd know there's a heaven. I know there's a heaven. I, I don't really need this parable necessarily to, to tell me that. I don't think Jesus gave this parable primarily to instruct us in knowing what the architecture is beyond the veil, what's, what's over there on the other side. Um, and if that's all that we get out of it, then as is often the case, we will have missed some really important stuff because he didn't just talk to hear himself talking. There's There's, some, there's something here. For us, there's two main characters in this uh, in this parable. There's a there's a rich man. He uh, dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Or maybe he wore an Armani uh, suit and lived in a in a mansion and and uh, ate McDonald's every day. Yeah. He died. Went to a place of torment. He deserved a break, you know. (laughs) And at his gate was laid Lazarus, who was a beggar and covered with sores and longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table. And the dogs came and and licked his sores. He died, and he was carried to to a blessed place. That's what we know but we don't know why, necessarily. Uh, we don't know what the rich man's sins were. Nor do we know the source of, of, of Lazarus' righteousness, because it doesn't tell us anything uh, about them. The conclusion that's easily drawn, and this is this is the other thing that I, that I often hear taught, and, and I don't have a problem with this being taught, but it's not where we're going to go today, but uh, the conclusion that's easily drawn is that, the, uh, is that the rich man did not help Lazarus and that he ignored him and that he you know, and that's you know that is that certainly is a grievous sin. You know, when we when we think of, of sins today, we tend to focus on sexual immorality, which is a sin, no question about it. We tend to focus on on, on drunkenness and addictions and stuff, which are sins. There's no question about that. But but the Bible has much, much, much more. Condemnation to say for those who exploit the poor, for those who ignore the the, the widow and the orphan, those who uh, who, who reject and, and ostracize the, the foreigner and do not receive and and help them. And I mean a lot more. He said, "Well, where does the Bible say? Read the prophets. Start start with Isaiah and go through Malachi. I mean that's that's part of the Bible. It's, it's in it's in, it's in the Old Testament, uh, Isaiah through Malachi and." They got, they, you want your toes stepped on, Fred, or any, anybody else. You know, if you want your toes stepped on, read the prophets. I mean, they will trample your toes. And most of what they have to say, most of the condemnation uh, that they bring has to do with that very issue, with ignoring the, the, the needs of others and the poor. Nevertheless, that conclusion isn't necessarily warranted. In this particular case with this guy. Obviously, he didn't drive Lazarus away. I mean, obviously, he didn't, you know, pass a law that you can't sleep on the sidewalk or something like that. Just saying. Uh, and he knew Lazarus' name. You know, when he saw him, he didn't go, oh, that's that guy. That, that the, the, the the guy, I know that guy. He's the one who. No, that's Lazarus. You send Lazarus to come and and help me out here? And you could even conclude that while Lazarus longed to eat what fell from his table, he probably did eat what fell from his table. Why else would he stay? You know, if he's he's getting nothing, you'd go somewhere else. And all we know about lazarus was that he was a beggar and that he had sores and that he longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table and that dogs came and, and 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 licked his wounds and that he was escorted to abraham's side when he died so what you know what what would be the lesson here uh you know if it's not necessarily about ignoring the poor now i i um, I think it's kind of included here in, in uh what Abraham says to him. He says, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus was receiving bad things? Well, now he's being comforted here and, and you're in agony. I, I don't think this is meant to teach us that uh all rich people are bad and they're going to be punished in uh on the other side. Now that's that's ridiculous. That's that's and I certainly hope that's not the case, because you're all rich. You may be in debt, but you are rich, no question about it. Uh, and I also don't think that uh, that it's here to teach us that all poor people will be uh, rewarded on the other side, re- rewarded beyond the veil, because you know there there there's some pretty na- there's some pretty bad poor people, yeah, you know, just like there's some pretty bad rich people. Uh, So it's not about that. But here's the conclusion that I think is important and where I want to go today. We can definitely conclude that what the world regards and values and what it disregards and considers of no worth and, and no value is not only wrong, but it's a very dangerous metric to use. We're looking at things. And it's dangerous because if, if we get into that mindset, huh, actually we have to get out of that mindset. We're born into that mindset. But we get into that mindset that, oh, that's what's valuable. That's what's important. That's something that's not valuable. That That's what we'll pursue. That's what we'll want to be. That's who we will want to follow. Based on the world's ideas of what's important and who is important. This chapter starts out with Jesus telling the parable that I've been avoiding all year uh, and will continue to avoid unless I can convince Barbie to teach on it. Uh, the parable of the shrewd manager. And she's already given me the, mm-mm, nah. nah. Uh, but the parable of the shrewd manager, this is, this is what that parable is for those of who don't know it. Uh, there, there was a, a rich man who understood that, found out that his manager was ripping him off, was, was stealing things from him. And he went to him and he said, you're not going to be able to be the manager any, any longer. He gave him his notice, basically. That's kind of a reverse notice thing, I guess, there. And the manager freaked out. and Well, what am I going to do? And then he got an idea. And, and he went, he went to the, the guys who owed money to his master, and he said, you know, okay, what do you, what do you owe my master? He says well, I owe him 1,000 bushels. Well, here you go. Let's change it, and let's say 700 bushels. Okay, remember who did that for you now? And he goes to the other and says, well, what do you owe, owe my master? Oh him 500 gallons. Oh, okay, well, let's change that. Put, put 200 gallons down there. Yeah, just remember, you know, when the time comes. And Jesus said his master commended him, Yeah, his master commended him, and he said, you need to use the stuff that you've got in this world right now to prepare for the future. Because the stuff that you have right now isn't really all that important. The future's very important. And then it says that there was a group of people that were listening to him, who sneered at him. Uh, in fact, it, they were the Pharisees who loved money. And they heard all of this, and they sneered at Jesus. <laughs> that parable doesn't even make any sense. Is anybody else here <laughs> in that group? I mean, you know, because I've read that so many times ago, that parable doesn't make make any sense. And now I I see, you know, where I'm standing. Uh. And so what Jesus goes on to tell this parable on the back of it, and he is telling it to people, to a a group of people who judge things by the world's standards, who look at things the way the world looks at things. That's That's the setup. That's the context for this. And so who would you rather be? You know, who's more respected? Would you rather be the the rich man or or would you rather be the poor man? Would you would you be more inclined to follow the rich man or 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 to follow the, the poor man? This standard has even so has even very firmly ingrained itself in the, in the church, even the Western church for sure. But but the church period, even even in the first century, James is writing and he said, "You people." Don't you understand? you got a, You got a problem because when somebody comes in and they're dressed in fine clothes and they look rich, you, you, you usher them to the best seat and say, hey, you sit here. And when someone comes in and rags, you go, hey, you, you, you sit over here. You're judging from the wrong, through the wrong eyeballs, through the, through the wrong set of... That doesn't mean that the, the rich man's a bad person or a good person or the poor man's a bad person or a good person, but you're, you're judging based on the way the world looks at things, and sets things up. When I say that the the Western church even today, man, has really bought into that area of judging. Over in Revelation uh, chapters 2 and 3, there are letters to churches, written to the churches. And uh, I don't necessarily buy this idea, but there is an idea that Those churches represent church ages. And the last one, the church at Laodicea, is the church of the last days. And, you know, that may very well be. I mean, we definitely could be called living in Laodicea. And this is what the letter to that church says. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked because you got stuff. And that's the way you judge things. That's your metric for looking at things. When I was growing up, I grew up, uh, as some of you know, in Millersville, which not many people will admit to. But uh, I grew up in Millersville. And uh, yeah, we got one other one here. and She ain't going to stand up or anything. Uh and um, my, at my dad's church, and I've mentioned this before, you know, we have one guy who worked for the Ford Glass plant, and we had one guy who was an over-the-road over the trucker, and they were the big money guys in the church. We were poor. I didn't know it, but I mean, we were poor, okay? And we thought that was great because God loves poor people, and poor people love God. And rich people just didn't need to be at our church because we wanted to be God's chosen. Well, that was wrong too. That was just as wrong as the other. I mean, gee, th- this parable takes both of those ideas and just go, <clears throat> just kind of, just kind of blows it apart. You get right. Uh, yes, God does bless. Yes, God uh, uh, there, and there are poor people who who are not close to God. And there are poor people who won't be walking with God. And there are, there are some rich people who do love God and are close to God. I will say this, it's easier to love God and be close to God when you're poor. Jesus said it. Well, He kind of said it backwards. Because He said, how how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom. And He never did say how hard it is for the poor to enter the kingdom. It's a hard thing. And the reason why it's hard is because of the way that we look at things and judge things. We look at them and judge them the same way the world does. We go, this is valuable. That's not valuable. But which side of the economic divide you reside on has nothing whatsoever to do with what happens on the other side. Nothing. The rich man you know, he might have been a good guy. He easily stands for those admired by the world. We know the rich. We we know who the super rich are. You know, Warren Buffett and uh, Bill Gates and uh, Jeff Bezos and people like that. And in our and in our 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 the people that we actually know, we know who the rich people are. You know, we know we know their names, but heaven doesn't. Uh, Now, it may know their names. It depends on what their relationship is with God. But heaven doesn't know their name just because they're rich. What was this rich man's name? Well, no, Jesus didn't bother to give him a name. One of the things that that I find the most jarring about the idea of standing before God is those who stand before God and and don't make it, I guess. I'll, I'll put it that way. What he says to them is, I never knew you. Please silence your cell phones, and especially if you're related to me. Uh, <laughs> I never knew you. This is, this is an omniscient God. This is God. That means he knows everything. I don't know you. Not only that, when he, when he died, he was buried. Period. End of discussion. That's, that's, all, that's all he's got, all, all that it has to say there. And then, then you got Lazarus. And he easily stands for the despised things of this world, for, the, uh, for, for those that we don't want to be around, for those that we would shun. But he has a name. And heaven knows it. In fact, I suspect it's probably written down somewhere. Maybe in a book. Maybe in the Lamb's book of life. And when he dies, the angels come and they carry him to Abraham's side. His death is an event recognized by heaven. Over in Genesis, the fourth chapter, it uh, it talks about the the line of Cain, those who were uh, who were, who were in his line, and it takes one whole verse to name them. One whole verse. It doesn't say how long they lived. It doesn't say who their children were. Well, it says who one of their children were. It doesn't say they died. It just goes blip 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 blip. Next verse. And then in chapter five, it follows a, a more righteous line. It follows the line of. of of, of Seth, and it names each one of them, says how long the guy lived before their first child was born, maybe tells us a little something about him, says how long he lived after that, does the math for those of us who are not very good at that, puts it all together in terms of how long, and says, and then he died, because that was an event in heaven. Let us not be deceived by the the standards we've been taught to look at and use to judge things by this is important because those things that we think are valuable are the things we're going to pursue those things that we look at and go oh that's special that's a that's the people we're going to follow and in heaven's eyes it's just stuff ain't nothing but a thing cuz heaven looks at at hearts and 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 its it souls and its intentions and and its motives. I could have brought a sermon about the need to help the poor, but you already knew that. I mean, who 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 came in here today and didn't know you're supposed to help the poor? And, and the truth of the matter is, it either impacts your life or it doesn't impact your life. And another sermon wasn't necessarily going to do anything. I mean, you, you, if if you already knew it and don't care, then you probably weren't going to care after you heard another sermon about it. But if you already knew it and and you did care, then yeah, it'd be great to hear another sermon about it, but you, you're you on the right track already. One more thing. <laughs> when, uh, when Steve Jobs was... Uh, doing the Apple presentations, Uh, occasionally he would use that phrase at the end of his his presentation, one more thing. And what it usually meant was, I'm I'm now getting ready to tell you something real important. Uh, And that's what it means right now. One more thing. What about this reasonable request that the rich man made to Father Abraham? Now, maybe, maybe it wasn't so reasonable to say, send Lazarus to dip his finger in some water and, 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 and parch my tongue. You know, maybe that wasn't so reasonable. But then after that, it was, oh, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my brothers, to my family. That, I've got five brothers, and they, there might be something really bad going on there. And, and uh, But if Lazarus will come and talk to them, then they won't come to this place like I did. You know, and and that that's real easy to spin and go. Yeah, well, man, the guy's had a change of hearties. So, but here's what he's actually saying. He's actually saying, if you'd taken the extra step for me, I would have repented. If you'd pursued me the way I want you to pursue my brothers, then I wouldn't have come to this place. Send send someone from the dead, and they'll they, they'll repent. You know, I. Gee, I wish I'd have had that chance, but you know I didn't have it. But I, I would like for them to have it. You know, it's really your your fault that I'm here because you didn't chase me enough. It's basically what's being said. Abraham replies, "Well, they can listen to Moses and the prophets. You yeah, that's they, they've got Moses and the prophets just like you had." And and the rich man argues, "But but." God's word isn't enough. It's not enough to hear the word of the Lord. They need to see. They need to see some, some woo woo. They need. They need to see something that they can't explain. Then. No. Uh. Uh-uh, uh. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I mean, if you if you had a sign from the Lord. I I tell you what, I had a sign from the Lord, but if I told you about it, you'd go, that's a sign? And most of you who came to the Lord through a sign, if you told us what it was, we'd go, that's a sign? It was a sign of a soft heart. It was a sign of a heart that was finally ready to receive what God has to say. It's not, It's and and by the way, and so Moses says to him, if, I mean, Abraham says to him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Back in the 80s, I guess it was, Stephen Curtis Chapman had a song uh, called Looking for Lightning. You're looking for lightning, listening for thunder. While well, he's quietly whispering your name. And that song, you know, meant so much to me because, you know, when my heart was hard, I was going, well, I'd like to see this. I'd like to see that. And I'd like to see that. And sometimes I did see it and it didn't change a thing. But when it finally came to the place where my heart got soft, all it took was a whisper. And by the way, someone has come back from the dead. The central tenet of our faith, the thing that separates our faith from all other belief systems is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what more can God do to pursue you? He gave His Son to die on the cross for your sins. And now He's raised Him from the dead. And this is the word of the Lord. Whoever believes in him will not perish.